0: So I've got a little uh, flip chart thing here, and um, there's one question that I think probably we've all been asked in our lives when we were really little, um, probably about this little girl's name. What's your name? Daisy. Probably about Daisy's age. And that question is, what do you want to be or do when you grow up? As, hands up who was asked that question in their life when they were little. Some, some, maybe not. Still wondering. So I wondered whether you could help me, and you could just come and write on here some of the things or the thing that you wanted to be or to do when you were little. So I'm just going to give you two minutes to come and do that. It, it doesn't matter if it's not everybody, but if you if you're happy to, just come and pop, pop it on this board here. Okay, while while Sarah's still writing. I'm going to, just in case you can't read these from the back or from where you are. So we have race driver and a me too, so that's two in the room. Uh, An actor um, working for the police, an air hostess, a singer, um, a McDonald's worker, a journalist, a lumberjack, a nurse, a marine biologist, a designer, a farmer, a marine boy or a... Oh, marine boy. Okay, marine boy, okay. He was a, cartoon a cartoon character. Okay, before my time, I think. Marine boy, or a drummer, or a drummer in a rock group, a nurse, astronomer, electronics engineer for the Royal Navy, artist, and another police. Wow, that's quite a combination of things, isn't it? Okay, hands up if you're doing what you wanted to do when you were young. Rich is rich is a journalist. So one person in the whole room, that's not to make you feel bad, by the way, but it's just because, yeah, things don't sometimes work out how we expected, do they? And we we dream things and actually we end up doing something different. So I, or I should have written mine down here, but I always wanted to be a ballerina. And that's not an uncommon thing for a young girl to want to be. And actually, I still do want to be a ballerina. Um, so I'm sure that in some you know, parallel universe somewhere that that's what I'm doing. Or maybe that's what I'll be doing when I'm in heaven. I don't know. I also wanted to um, be a teacher. But, um, and my dad's a teacher. My sister ended up being a teacher. But I just never, ever went down that path. It just didn't happen. And... Uh, yeah, I'd like to think that I've taught my kids quite a bit so far, so that's that's kind of my teaching bit done and still going on. Um, the other thing I wanted to be from a very young age, and it... That, it sounds a bit weird, but I did want to be a mum. I knew that eventually in my life, I wanted to be a mum. And I knew if I wanted to be a mum, then I was going to be a wife to somebody. And um, actually, um, and I've said, told you this before, but for those who haven't heard me say this, the, um, the first time I ever had a proper conversation with Mark, so Mark is uh, my husband at the back there. So our first ever conversation, we were just chit-chatting and he said, so like really deep question, what do you want to be in life? What do you want to do in life? And I was like, and I knew the answer straight away and I'm like, mm, do, I, do I say this or do I say something else? <laughs> and I said, if you really want to know, I want to be a wife and a mum in my life. I knew those are the things that I could do and that I wanted to do in terms of jobs and stuff. But that's really what I felt God had given me to do in my life. And fortunately, it didn't scare him off, thankfully. Um, so you might be disappointed that you aren't doing now what you'd imagined when you were little or you might be doing something so much better, so much more fulfilling than you imagined when you were younger because life has a funny way of twisting and turning and you know, from our perspective we can't predict what's going to happen in our lives um, but I do know there is one thing that everybody in this room was born for do you know what it is? Jesus yes (laughs) born for greatness you've read the notes haven't you yeah I'm here to tell you this morning that everybody sitting in this room is born for greatness now we are um, am I skipping ahead here hang on a minute yeah I wanted to ask you what you think when you think of greatness just have a think for a few seconds what do you think when you think of greatness did somebody say something? Oh. Your life. Great. <laughs> well, I was thinking about greatness and how kind of the world at large would, would think about greatness. And it maybe is like a celebrity, maybe like someone who has a role of great influence in their life, someone who holds a lot of power, um, someone who is achieves really great standards of education. They do loads of degrees and stuff. Maybe that's what you think of greatness. Um, Maybe somebody who discovers breakthroughs in medical science or saves people from human trafficking. Maybe that's greatness. Maybe it's somebody who has it all together in life. Like, you know, you just have to look at their Instagram posts or their Facebook posts. They've got everything together. They're great. And I'm sure in this room that we all have Different things that we think of when we think of greatness, and you know when I was um, spending time with God and I was asking him what to share for last week because I was meant to speak last week, and i was I was preparing this that God had been speaking to me about, and then i didn 't finish it, but this week as i 've just been spending more time with God and, and asking him about this word, of course i 've been thinking of Andrea. And uh, she's not been far from my thoughts this week. And, uh, you know, when I think about her and how great she was, you know, she wasn't a celebrity. Um, She didn't travel around speaking at conferences. She didn't write a book. Well, she might have written a book, but she didn't publish a book. Um, But she was great in God's kingdom, she and still is, by the way. She is great in God's kingdom, and she influenced and she impacted so many people by just being who God had made her to be. That's all she did. It's like what Mark was saying. She did everything for the glory of God. That's who she was. She did it by being there for people in the seemingly little moments that that made all the difference to that person. You know, she helped people when they were struggling and they were depressed, they were lonely, they were anxious, they were unwell. She demonstrated God's love to them. And that, to me, that's greatness. That inspires me. Not that I don't want to be this celebrity or go around speaking at conferences. If God has that for me, then, you know, that's fine. But, you know, I just want to be a good follower of Jesus and love people. That's what I want to do in my life. And I know know a lot of you in this room, that's what you want to do as well. So we're all born aren't we because we're here we're all born but when you choose a life with God when you say yes to Jesus your life comes into line with the greatness that you are born for it's like the it's like two lines that as you come and you say yes to Jesus they line up and greatness is what is ahead of you and this greatness it's not for our own sake it's not for our own sake. It's so that we, it's not so that we can make a name for ourselves. You know, kind of in the world, that's what people want. They want to stamp their mark on this earth and they want to make a name for themselves. It might be making a name for themselves by doing something really stupid. Or um, it might be something really positive or something really negative as long as it may, you know, makes a name for them. But this, this greatness that I'm talking about is for God's glory. And it's to make his name known in all the earth. So this morning, the, the um, chunk of what I'm going to do is actually I'm going to tell you a story from the Bible. So I hope you're all sitting nice and comfortably. Um, and it's one that some might know and some might not know. It's about Joseph, not Jesus's father, who's in the nativity story, Joseph, but Joseph, who, um, you know, had the technicolor coat, the many colored coat. Do you know that story? Okay, so we're going to look at his story this morning. So, um, and this takes up quite a few chapters in the Bible um, between Genesis 37 and Genesis 50. So that's quite a chunk and I'm not going to make you sit here and I'm not going to read out all the complicated words and names and stuff. So I'm going to tell you it in my own words. So Joseph was the son of Jacob and he was the youngest of 12 brothers. And Joseph, being the youngest, was adored by his father. And that made his brothers despise him. And they didn't have anything nice to say about him. So the coat that was given to him was given by his father. Can you imagine if your mother or father gave you something? Or think about your sibling, if you've got one, gave them something that made you feel so jealous. So not as loved as them. Can you imagine that feeling? And that's, that's what the brothers were feeling. So the, the brothers hated Joseph. And uh, then when Joseph was about 17 years old, God gave him two dreams. And the first, they were kind of weird dreams. The first was about bundles of corn that were tied together. And Joseph's bundle of corn was in the middle and rose up. And his brothers all had a bundle of corn. And all these bundles of corn bowed down to Joseph's bundle that was in the middle. Hmm. It's kind of strange. And then he had another dream and it was about the sun and the moon and the stars. And that represented his mother, his father and his brothers. And again, they all bowed down to Joseph. Kind of weird. Kind of weird to have those dreams at age 17. And, um, you know, Joseph, in his wisdom of being 17 years old, he told his brothers about the dream about the first dream and that made them hate him even more and then he told them and his father about the one with the sun moon and the stars and even his father rebuked him for telling them that and that added fuel to the fire so now the brothers were jealous of joseph because of the coat because of the dreams and they hated him even more but what a promise That Joseph had received. This morning is all about P's words that begin with P. So see if you can listen out for them. So that is a promise that Joseph received in his dreams. He didn't know exactly what it meant or how it was going to happen but he knew God had given him a dream for his life. So back to the story. The brothers made a plan together and they plotted to kill him but Reuben, one of the brothers, convinced them to throw him down a pit Instead of taking his life, he wanted to save Joseph's life. And his plan was then to go back and to rescue Joseph, get him out of the well and then take him back to his father. So they stuck to this plan and they stripped him of his beautiful robe and they threw him into this empty well. And then they sold him into slavery. They sold him to be a slave. And the brothers took Joseph's beautiful robe and they dipped it in animal blood. And then they took it back to his father. And Joseph's father knew that it was the coat that he'd given him because it was a one-off coat. He knew it was his coat. And uh, he thought the worst, that that Joseph had been devoured by some kind of ferocious animal, maybe a bear or a lion or something. And no one could bring him any comfort. And at this point, it doesn't really look like things are going to end very well for Joseph, does it? He's been given this promise of greatness and his family even bowing down before him. But now he's been sold as a slave, which seems to be actually the complete opposite of what greatness looks like, the opposite of his dreams. This surely can't be the beginning of a promise fulfilled, can it? So the people who brought Joseph from his brothers sold him onto a man with a funny name called Potiphar. And he lived in Egypt and he was one of the kings, um, he was the captain of the guards, the captain of the army for the king. So he's a very high up ranking man. And in Genesis chapter 39 verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And Potiphar saw that God was with him and that he gave Joseph success. So to prosper means to succeed and to do well and to advance. And Joseph then found favor in Potiphar's eyes and he became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his household and entrusted um, to his care everything he owned. From this point on, God blessed Potiphar's household because of Joseph. So because God's favor was on Joseph, he blessed this man's house called Potiphar. So that seems to be more like it, doesn't it? It seems to be like he's on his way a bit. Uh, Maybe he's on his way to greatness now. So he went from being a slave to being in charge of the household of one of Pharaoh's officials, the king's officials. God was with him and his favour was on him. And things were looking good for Joseph. Until, there's now a bit of a down. Potiphar's wife began to be interested in Joseph. After all, he was a very handsome and well-built man. And she decided she quite fancied him, actually. And she was probably used to getting what she wanted. But you know what? Her advances didn't work. They didn't have any sway with Joseph. And in chapter 39, Genesis 39, verse 9, he says to her, "'No one is greater in this house than I am. "'My master has withheld nothing from me except his wife. "'How, then, could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God?' So it wasn't only that he didn't want to um, take uh, Potiphar's wife and do anything wrong with her. It's that he honoured God. He was following God so much and obeying God that he didn't want to commit a sin against God. So Joseph, he refused Potiphar's wife. And she told a lie to her husband. And she framed him for being an adulterer, for having an affair with her. So you can imagine what Potiphar this lady's wife was like he was furious and he burned with anger and he threw him in the king's prison. So he's now gone from a promise to a pit, which was the well, to prison. So that's, that's Joseph's dreams down the gutter then. He's in prison. Prison could end in death in those times. It, there doesn't seem to be anyone bowing down to him now, does there? Well, he may have been in prison but he had the same God. He had the same God. And I'm just going to read chapter 39 verses 20 to 23. And it says this, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So guess what the warden did? The warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So Joseph was in prison for doing something very wrong that he didn't actually do, but it was very, very wrong. And then the prison warden made him everything that happened in the prison under his care. Wow, it does appear that the Lord was with him and gave him success. So this was, um, sorry, not only that, but in prison, Joseph starts interpreting some dreams. I don't know if you've ever had a dream and had an interpretation of that dream, but Joseph, it was a gift Joseph was able to do this. And there were two guys in prison. There was the king's cupbearer, so who brought him his wine, basically. And there was the chief baker that, that lived in the palace. And uh, they had two dreams. And I'm not going to go into the detail of those dreams, but they had two dreams. And Joseph said, I know the interpretation for those dreams, I know what they mean. And he told them. And exactly what Joseph said would happen happened. So that was all going on as well in prison. And that's all well and good. Yeah, you know, Joseph has a gift for interpreting dreams, but, and, he, and he's able to run the prison, but it's not getting him out of prison. It's not, there's nothing that looks good in terms of him getting out. So it still doesn't really look like the greatness of his dreams, does it? And when Joseph, it says that he had been in prison for two full years and then the king, the pharaoh, had two dreams. And the king was very anxious about these dreams, very worried. It disturbed, they disturbed him greatly. And he couldn't find anybody in the land to come and interpret. He asked all the magicians and the sorcerers and the astronomers to come and to tell him what this dream meant. And nobody could. And it was at that point that the cupbearer, the guy who brings the king his wine remembered that Joseph had interpreted his dream and that what Joseph said would happen, happened. So he says, why don't I go and get Joseph and Joseph can interpret your dreams for you. So that's what he did. So the king, he called for Joseph, told him his dream and asked for an interpretation. And Joseph responded that he couldn't do it, but that God had an answer for the king. God had an answer for the king, and Joseph gave him the interpretation. And the dreams, I don't know if you remember in the story, they were about the land of Egypt having seven years of abundance, of good crops, lots of fruit. You know, we are talking about this morning about extreme fruitfulness, an abundant seven years, followed by seven years of famine. And this is what the dreams meant. So, not only did Joseph tell the king what the dreams meant but he also came up with a plan so that doesn't sound great does it seven years of abundance and then seven years of nothing of famine in the land and joseph had a plan to store up the food that was produced in the abundant years to use then for the years of famine so not only could he interpret dreams but he had wisdom and, and god gave him a plan to deal with this situation And the king recognized that there was nobody else around quite like Joseph. Nobody who was filled with the spirit of God and who also had the wisdom and discernment that Joseph had. So, wait for it. He appointed Joseph to be in charge of the palace. And all the people were to submit to his orders. And only the king would be greater than Joseph. Wow. Wow. So he's gone from the prison now to the palace. He was in charge of the whole of Egypt. Wow, that sounds like greatness to me. That sounds like extreme fruitfulness in his life. So Egypt entered its abundant years and Joseph made sure that the plan was followed. And sure enough, this meant that there was more than enough to feed the Egyptians during the famine. And in fact, it says in the Bible that all the world came to Egypt ...to buy the grain from Joseph... ...because the famine was everywhere. But there was one other thing that the famine did... ...and that was... ...the famine brought his brothers back to him. They brought them back to Egypt. and Their father sent, sent them to buy grain... ...so that they wouldn't starve where they were living. And you know what happened? The brothers bowed down to Joseph... ...as they came... ...because they knew who he was in the land. They bowed down when they arrived... But you know what? They didn't recognize him. He recognized them immediately. But they didn't recognize him. And it's at this point in the story, there's a lot of detail. And I'm not going to go into all of that. You can go and you can read that for yourself. But the part I do want to tell you about was that Joseph eventually told him who told his brothers who he was. You can imagine their kind of surprise at that. And the feelings that that brought in them. But... He graciously forgave them. He forgave them. He knew that God had a plan in all those ups and downs. You know, there was a process that happened and there was a plan that happened. Two more P words. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He knew God was in it all. And Joseph, he didn't command. He could have commanded his brothers because of his position. He could have commanded his brothers to bow down, but he didn't command them to. Instead, he said, go back to your fathers and tell your father to come back and to come and move into Egypt. And the Pharaoh, because of the favor that Joseph had with the king, he gave them the best of the land to live in just amazing. I think this is an amazing story. They brought their families, they brought everything they owned and they came and settled where Joseph had made a place for them. And there was a process that Joseph went through in his life. If he had gone straight from the promise that was in his dreams to the palace, he wouldn't have been able to handle it. He was 17 years old. Who can handle that at age 17? He wouldn't have had the maturity to be responsible for the whole land of Egypt or had the wisdom to, to plan for those years of abundance and famine. He had to go, here's the P words, he had to go from the promise to the pit. From the pit to the prison via Potiphar's house. And from the prison to the palace. But there was a process and a plan. And it's the same with our lives. There's a journey that we're on. And there is a process taking place to mature us so that we can handle the greatness that God has created for us, that God has for us in our lives. And along the way we will be pruned. You know, prunings when you cut off parts of a tree to make it bear more fruit. There is a pruning and there's a shaping. You know, when Mark and I first got together, he bought me a bonsai tree. You know, little bonsai trees and you have to like clip them and shape them and prune them. And he said to me, he said to me, jokingly, if you let this die, that's the end of us. <laughs> you cannot let this thing die. Uh, it died. <laughs> but we're still here. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, that's just a little, little, little side for you. But, yeah, there's a pruning and there's a shaping that God does in our lives to make us who he has created us to be. And that actually can be really painful. I don't think Joseph enjoyed being down a well or in a prison or being accused of something. He didn't enjoy those things. But God had a, had a plan, made a way and shaped him into the man who was going to be in charge of Egypt. It's all, it's for our good and it's for God's glory. And there's just so much that we could get out of this story. And I know time is going away, but I just want to focus on the favor that Joseph had in his life. He had favor with man, with the people around him, and he had favor with God. And in his younger days, he probably let those dreams that he had go to his head and inflate his ego a bit. The ones with his family bowing down to him. And there are times in his life where he just doesn't seem to be heading for greatness. He seems to be in the opposite direction, going in the opposite direction. But we read time after time, God was with Joseph. And God prospered him and gave him favor. And it wasn't just one-sided either. Because Joseph stewarded well. He, he dealt with his responsibility and what he'd been given well, in a good way. And uh, after every setback in the story, you know, he comes back stronger. And he reaches a new level of greatness. And that's what our lives can be like with God. He is submitted to God. He, he, he's given his life to God. And he's obedient to do what God's asked him to do. And, you know, God gives him more each time. That's how God works. Favor is about, that word is about God's delight in us and his approval of us because of Jesus. And it's closely related to his grace favor it's not about what we've done to deserve it we haven't done anything to deserve it but he gives it freely and he gives us more depending on what we do with it and god's favor is never just about us you know we can reap the benefit of it but it's always for those people around us how god blesses us it's always to give to give to others who are around us It might be in little ways it might be in big ways But it's to bless the people we're responsible for, our families, the people looking to us for help, for guidance. When we're good stewards of the favour that we've received and use it to benefit others, it always leads to an increase. It always leads to an increase. And part of God's favour in our lives is that we find favour with people around us, like Joseph did with Potiphar and the pharaoh and the prison guard. And that can be dangerous, because how others think about us and treat us, it can go to our heads and we can actually end up flat on our face if we don't handle it in the right way. But if we keep humble before God, knowing that it's all about him and what he's given to us, and we're submitted to what he says in in his word, the Bible, um, and his will, what he wants us to do in our lives, then we'll be able to handle it in the right way. He'll help us to handle it in the right way. So, God's favor in your life. It's the gifts that He's given you. It's the practical things that you can do with your hands and your feet, where your feet take you, what your hands can do for others. It's the money. You know, it might be two pennies. There's a woman in the Bible who gave an offering of a penny, two pennies. And, you know, God said that meant more than the person who had loads and just kind of willy nilly just gave, you know, a grand or whatever. Because he saw her heart in it. So it's, it's about our heart in this. And um, basically, everything that God's blessed us with, everything. If we, give, if we attribute that to God, if we say, God, we recognize this is a blessing from you, then he will show us how to use that blessing for other people. Because it's always about other people. And, uh, you know, he's given us a voice as well. He's given us a voice that can bring change in our families, in our communities. Wherever God sends us, we can change things through what we speak and we can help others through what we speak. And it might be that God's asked you to write a book or to start a blog because that's having a voice as well. We might not feel that we have much, but if we use whatever we've got in our hands, God will bless it and he'll actually make it to be more than we can see in front of us. So I want to ask you this question. We started with a question about what you want to be or what you wanted to be when you were little. I want to ask you to think over this next week. What favor, what blessing has God given you in your life and what are you doing with it? What favor has God given you in your life and what are you doing with it? Because he doesn't want it to just stay stay as it is. He wants you to use it for it to grow. And God will help you. If, you, if you're if you not sure what that is in your life, just ask God to show you what it is and how he wants you to use it. And I want to encourage you that God has created you with everything he needs to use you for his glory, to bring glory to him and to bless those around you. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever thought about yourself like that? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I studied... Um, anatomy and physiology for A-level PE and I was so blown away by how the human body works and that's just the body bit of us. God's put a soul in us, a heart and a mind in us that we can't look at in the same way as we can look at a body and um, God has made you amazing. You are all, all of you amazing people and I want to encourage you don't compare yourselves to the people that you see around you. Because, you know, comparison's a killer. It drip feeds us this lie that we're not good enough because we're not like somebody sitting next to us. God's put everything in you that that should be in you. And he wants that to grow and to bring that out of you and to put more in as well. You are you. Nobody else can be you. And you can't be anybody else. God's got a unique purpose for your life that only you can fulfill. There are two quotes I read this week that I just love that kind of ties into this. One is, don't compare your gifts to others. Use your gifts for others. So don't compare your gifts to others. Use your gifts for others. And Anne Voskamp said that. And then the last one is, God can't bless who you pretend to be. He can't bless who you pretend to be. Because if you're pretending to be someone else, that's their blessing. He wants to bless who he's made you to be. Last bit of the Bible I want to read before closing is one of my favorite, favorite verses in the Bible. And it's Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. And it goes like this. And this is God speaking to you today. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You were born for greatness. So go and be great for God and with God. Amen. Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.